1: Listening to Drop in the Gloves with former NHL All Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dropping the Gloves. I always always want to go with Tim. Hello, everybody. I'm Johnny Cash. He's one of the greatest artists ever, Johnny Cash. If you've never heard of him, get educated, everybody. But anyways, thank you for joining us, everybody. I'm glad you're along for the ride for Dropping the Gloves, episode number 344. Very exciting, Tim. Very, very exciting. Lots to talk about. More importantly, how was your weekend? You just showed me a fantastic hockey stick you found on a random walk in North Carolina. How funny is that? Just a random, perfectly good one-piece hockey stick, by the way.
1: Yeah, it's a CCM trigger. I um, was walking my dog this morning and there was a big pile of furniture in the apartment building next to me to like be discarded. And on top of it was sitting the stick and I looked at it and I was like, this got to be broken or something. But it wasn't and it's really good. Um doesn't have a tape job, so I'll do that. I haven't skated in a while, but yeah, great find. Just pick them off off the street. So good start to the day.
0: You got the itch now? It's like, oh, I found a stick. I got to get on the ice.
1: It's funny. uh, I had um, there was a maintenance guy in the in my apartment yesterday, looking at some water damage down the hall, and he had to look in my building at the whatever at the water thing. And he goes into the closet and saw my hockey sticks in there. So he was asking me if I play, and I said, "Yeah, but I haven't done it since I got here." And he said, "There's not really many men's leagues. You got to drive like a half hour in different directions to find a a rink." So I'm surprised about that.
0: It's just showing how the hockey is just growing in the south. It's just insane how it's ex- it's exploding. Gary Bettman's experiment's just paying off. It's just the grassroots initiative. It's really, really the fruits of his labor are really showing up. But that's too bad. So he might not play.
1: Well, he said like, yeah, he said there might be some at the Bojangles Center, which is where the Charlotte Checkers play. Um, and so, yeah, I'll look into that. I have been the meeting
0: Bojangles this. Center.
1: Have you heard of the restaurant Bojangles? No. It's like uh it's like a big chain down here. It's like Popeyes or something like that. It's just like chicken and biscuits and that sort of thing. And um it's it's everywhere. It's on every street corner down here. Chains in general are way bigger down here than they are up north, that's for sure.
0: Really? I've never heard oh, yeah. of all Jangles ever in my life. And I've been around. No. <laughs> I've been everywhere, man. It's a Johnny Cash episode. It really I, is. I love Johnny Cash. I enjoy him. I don't love him. I like him a lot. All right. Victor Hedman, recap. What did you think of that interview? Good, bad? I, it was pretty different. good.
1: I mean, it was. it's good to get a big name like that. Like, it's, it's, you know, usually guys who are still in the league are hesitant to say too much, which seemed like he was, a little careful in his answers compared to someone like Brendan Lemieux. Um, but also, yeah, usually the better players are a little bit more boring compared yeah. to, like – it's always been the story. But it was cool to talk to a player of his caliber. It was a lot of fun.
0: Do you get more nervous for a guy like Victor Hedman? Honestly, no.
1: Like, I used to, but at this point, we've done so many. Like, it would take a while. It would take... Yeah. I don't know who I would get nervous for. I thought it would be... I'm, like a Bergeron? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's just... They're also like, nice and normal and human. It's not like, you know... Yeah. I would have been more scary or nervous a few years ago.
0: Are you going to join the sin bin?
1: <laughs> Already did. You did Already not.
0: Did. You're such a liar. Promo Claude gloves, DD, no. sin bin. I can almost guarantee that I will not be playing in the sandbox <laughs> in the sin bin. It's just because I'm not a, a techie guy, but I'm sure you will, Tim. You like that. So you're young. You're hip. You pro- there will probably be a dating portion to it. <laughs> Um, find your soulmate in this in this sandbox. Speaking uh, of that, how's the dating life in North Carolina? It's fine. It's fine. There's a lot of people
1: here, which is fun.
0: And what does that mean there's a lot of people? Have you found uh, any good options?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I go out. I meet people. Tim
0: hates talking about this for, for whatever reason. We can talk about my seven kids, my personal life. The second I ask if he's been on a date, he just, like, gets all clammed up and uncomfortable. The girls don't listen to the podcast, Tim. Who cares?
1: That's not true. We have probably th- at least four girls that listen to the show. Not the ones you're dating. That's true. So That's
0: how true. many how many dates have you been on since you've been in North Carolina?
1: Uh, well, how many dates or how many people?
0: How many girlfriends do you have right now, currently? <laughs>
1: Answer i I've been seeing one girl for a little for like a month, but I've probably gone out with I don't know Megan.
0: Megan what mm not telling let's we'll, we'll, do, we'll go down the rabbit hole here real quick all our listeners will just be googling oh well well good I'm glad are you happy with her you see she's cool there? she's cool how tall is she she captain Material? Um,
1: she's pretty tall she's probably like five nine. Yeah. Oh, that's tall yeah yeah
0: it's a good I height. think that if you're a girl who's five nine that works out to be a guy who's like six three.
1: Well, my brother's six four and his fiance is six foot. She's tall. Wow, if they have kids. You met her, Red Time at Hoplot.
0: Oh, well, that's right. I did. She yeah, seems very nice. Good bachelor time.
1: parties next weekend.
0: Oh yeah, you're planning that. What do you guys you're LARPing? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's gonna be a blast. I wish that's I was. It's gonna be there. awesome. Yeah. All right, let's let's get into it, Tim. Some retiring news, some guys are leaving, and this is always strange to me, guys who retire at this point in the season, because what you don't understand is you can still get your NHLPA insurance, I think a couple months into the season, until you finally sign your retirement papers. So I like, when I retired, I did the same thing these guys did, and then my agent was like, "No, no, 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 don't say anything because you still get your benefits for a few months into the season. Then you lose them once you haven't signed, because the NHLPA will pick it up for two months or whatever. These guys got enough money. They called it quits. Two guys expected. One guy, kind of a surprise. There's been a lot of noise, some, some, I guess, rumors of where he's going to sign a PTO, this and that. So Zidane Ochara retires. That, that, was, that was bound to happen, right? I, I think that was a no-brainer. Keith Yandel. Yeah. Retires. I think that was a no brainer based on last year. And then PK Subban retires. That one was a little bit of a, a surprise to me. PK still relatively young compared to the other two guys. Char is, I think, 40. I want to say 44. Is he 44?
1: He's up there. I don't know it in front of me, but yeah.
0: And I owe Yandel is approaching his 40 as well. Subban is not young pup, but I think he's like 35, 34. He's so younger. Surprising to yeah. Me.
1: Yandel's 36, Subin's 33.
0: Yeah, so he's still got, like, Subs has got a lot of hockey left in him. He's obviously made a ton of money in his career. Was that a surprise to you? Do you think it's his ego or his health? He doesn't want to, you know, go sign a PTO somewhere and subject himself to the possibility that maybe he doesn't make the team or maybe he didn't get any PTO offers at all. And he's just like, you know what, I'm done. What do you think?
1: Well, it's funny because he had this huge contract with New Jersey, and we all thought that it was an overpay. Well, I think it was, he signed it with Nashville. He was traded to New Jersey, right? Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah. So, Correct. um, we, we kind of knew that he was being paid too much. They were happy to get him off the books, and we were kind of riding this out. But I think most of us would have expected looking to this point thinking, okay, once he's a free agent, he's going to garner some interest. He's just an experienced, talented defenseman. He's not that old. Uh, like you said, and so only 800 games, which I know was a lot, but this is a 33 year old player who maybe took a little longer to develop into being the pro that he's become. So I thought that he would probably not even get a PTO. I thought he would be signed somewhere, and then I, you know, there was a report. I think it was Frank earlier this summer who said that the interest just wasn't there for Subban, um, around the league, and so maybe PTO was all he was getting. And yeah, like you said, it's just. At this point in his career, a PTO maybe be a sixth, seventh defenseman. Not really worth it in his eyes. So yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's what's happening.
0: How much of his off ice persona plays into effect with this? When you you look at the impact he had in Montreal, we'll talk about captaincy in a little bit because there's a whole Winnipeg Jets situation. But he he's not known to be a great teammate. PK Subban. He obviously there was a lot of friction when he was in Montreal. With Gallagher, with Pacioretty, well documented friction gets traded for Shea Weber. When you look at it on paper, a one-sided trade. PK Subban coming off a All-Star season, the guy is getting sixty points a season, fifty-one and sixty-eight in his last season with Montreal. Traded for Shea Weber, who is on the back nine of his career, but has the intangibles of a leader. You know what I mean? That's the guy you want to build your team around. Goes to Nashville. He plays okay. You know, has a good run in the playoffs his first year there and then all of a sudden just his game starts to drop a little bit. His last season in Nashville just didn't get beaten the first round, traded to New Jersey. It is the reason he's not getting a contract because he's not liked in the locker room. There's the whole stuff that goes along with him. He's always on TV. He's active on social media. Do you think that plays a part in this, Tim? If, if you're a GM, do you want your sixth or seventh defenseman being that active? It's the, the Tib Tebow effect?
1: I mean, I see I see the, the – I wouldn't call it a circus, but the extra attention that maybe they don't want. But I don't agree with the idea that he's not a good teammate. I think there was something specific in Montreal in that room where maybe he didn't get along with – Gallagher and Patcherredi and and you said you saw a little bit of yourself in your couple of days there and plenty of reports going back to that time 6 7 years ago but I I don't think that means he wasn't a good teammate. I think he's very universally liked and was well respected and the stuff that he's done with the community especially in Montreal like the year before we got traded didn't he donate like a whole hospital wing or something um in the city. And so I think he's, he's big with the charity stuff. He's big with the off ice stuff. I don't think he's a a locker room problem. I think it was something specific to that group of guys in Montreal.
0: There's a lot that goes into the PK Subban donation. I don't want to go into that hole. I I have a lot of feelers in Montreal. I like PK this. I I just want to get that out there. I, I know him. We we've talked many, many times. I think he's a good dude. The whole donation to Montreal, I'm on good authority to say none of that was his money. Montreal was upset how he went about the donation, the timing, not looping in the Montreal Canadiens with that. Wanted to be a separate entity. This is the PK show. They didn't really care for that. They wanted him to you know, work through the Montreal Canadian system and let's do it together. And he just was like, this is... Anyways, besides the point, he's retired. 800 plus games. Tons of action in the playoffs. Very good playoff performer. Polarizing player. Very uh, in-your-face. Physical guy for his size. Loved the way he played the game. Almost 500 points at 800-some games. Any Hall of Fame talk surrounding P.K. Subban in your eyes?
1: No, no. Not even close, I don't think.
0: Okay. Zidane O'Chara retires. Is there Hall of Fame talk surrounding Zidane O'Chara?
1: Yeah, and I think he's probably even first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: First ballot Hall of Famer for a guy who's played almost seventeen hundred games and he's got less than seven hundred points. So you average that out, he gets what, a point every two and a half games? Why does he get a first ballot Hall of Famer just for his longevity?
1: Longevity, awards, um I mean you got the Norris, you got the uh the Cup obviously, international stuff. He's been playing in the league forever. The points he put up, the and not just like the points, although he was very good especially at at the peak of his career, but the the shutdown defense that he played. If you look at the advanced analytics, he was basically better than every defenseman in the league for 3 year stretch from 08 to 11 something like that. Like he's just one of the best defensemen of the last 20 years. So yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer for sure.
0: How many points what do you think his most points in a season are? Um in the 50s somewhere. 51. Okay. Did that no 52, excuse me. He doesn't put up great points. So it's not it's not like you're talking about a, a guy who's just a power play quarterback who's gonna get you 60, 70 points like we see today with the modern defenseman. Do I think he makes the Hall of Fame? Yeah. I'm going, to, I'm going to do that s- silly thing where you ask yourself questions. Do I think he deserves <laughs> the Hall of Fame? No. I don't. Oh, come on, John. We, 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 go, we do this a lot. What are his stats, his individual stats? Strictly looking at his numbers, and this was the same thing for Patty Marlowe. And I love Patty. I, I like Zidane Ochar. If he doesn't have 1,680 games beside his name, he doesn't make the Hall of Fame. But he did play those games, and and there's something to be said for that. Him, Chelios – actually, Chelios was a very gifted offensive player. But people don't remember that because in the later stages of his career, he he transitioned into a shutdown, hard-nosed type defenseman. In his first, I want to say six, seven years, he was a point-per-game guy. But uh, I don't know. This... Like the point, The points aren't there. He was a very good defensive defenseman. I think if he gets in, it's based on that merit, and he will get in. And he probably will be a first ballot just because he has the name recognition, much like Patty Marlowe. Fans loved him. When he was with the Bruins, he was loved. When he was with the Senators, he was loved. When he was with the Islanders, he was loved. Even in later stages in his career when he went to the Capitals, loved. So he does get in first ballot. But if you're going to be fair, like just based on the stats, it's, it's not mind-blowing stats for Zidane O'Chara, but he will get in.
1: So, well, it. the impact of, of him on the game, on the ice and off the ice, can't be measured just by what do you point mean The production? impact of
0: him on the game, on the ice, off the ice.
1: Okay, what do you
0: like of him off the ice.
1: Um, well, the leadership stuff, the community stuff, not to mention, like, I mean, you should know this as well as anyone. Like, how many big guys in the last twenty years have has he paved the way for to be that size, to move like he did, to inspire younger players that they're not too big to to play at a high level, they're not too slow, they can adjust their game. Like think about what he did for a guy like Victor Hedman or, you know, other the other tall defensive. We just talked
0: might- to Victor Hedman and he said he didn't didn't uh, didn't watch hockey growing up. He was a soccer player and his favorite player was Ray Bork.
1: So He didn't did not say he didn't watch hockey growing
0: up. Yes, he did? He said he was a soccer, well, football. Anyways, um, yeah. he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Good for him. I, I am I allowed to just voice my opinion? <laughs> uh, not? No, not. All right, let's, got, let's let's move on to another guy, another defenseman who just retired. Set the Iron Man streak, Keith Yandel. He's retiring. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. Why not? Not good enough. He's got almost as many points as Chara, and he's played 600 less games.
1: 600 fewer games, but I Any don't know. The amount of points almost. Uh, no, he's
0: not. He's not a Hall of Famer. What what case can you make for him? I'm not. I'm saying he's not. But this just hurts Chara's case because if Keith Yandel plays 1,680 games, the guy puts up probably 900 points. There's, you know what,
1: there's probably someone listening to the show right now that this is their first episode they've ever listened to, and so far they're thinking that you don't know anything about hockey, based on what you said so so far. I'm
0: just stating stats. So, if you average out points per game, Keith Yandel has gotten 619 in 1,109. That probably averages out to a point every two games. A little bit better than that. Chara got 680 in 1,680 games. So that averages out to a point a little less than one point every three games or something like that. If you just go by stats, Yandel's a better defenseman offensively. And the way we look at Hall of Famers, the way we look at awards, the way we look at today's hockey, you know, offense is the way we kind of rank things. So, But I do think Chara gets in, Yandel does it. I agree with you. But I'm just trying to play a little devil's advocate.
1: Well, Yandel's also you a bit of a – You got
0: the Bruins – Bias.
1: Yandel, Ooh. he's also a, a power play specialist for a while. Where like he was one of the best power play quarterbacks in the league for a good stretch, and I think probably better than Chara at his peak, at, at that one thing specifically, which inflates his numbers a little bit. But in terms Hold of on. being a well rounded defenseman. Back up.
0: You said I think maybe better than Chara. He was. Just admit that at at the power play. Sure. Are... Okay. Oh, okay. I'll give you that. That's fine. You're not going to give me that. It's a fact. Yanda was better offensively than Chara. You can look at the numbers. Yandel had his highest point total in a year was 62, 59, 53, 56. Like, he he had points. Like, he the guy knew how to put points. That's what he was known as. For you to even, like, maybe he might have been. No, no. He was better than Chara offensively. Just acknowledge it. Move on. That's
1: fine. That's All fine. Right. You can... Yes.
0: All those guys are retiring. is going to make the haul. The other two guys, not a chance. All defensemen, great careers. Winnipeg Jets, definition of dysfunctionality. A team that's just almost, I, I don't even want to say almost. They have systematically in the last 10 years driven a once promising franchise with Stanley Cup aspirations, aspirations, however you say that word. They have just driven this team into the ground they are now on par with the worst franchises in the complete nhl when you look back at their team 10 years ago they were stacked other gms were salivating at their defensive core young forwards just a a stud team all around stanley cup written all over them what has happened since then tim to now they're stripping their captain blake wheeler Their star player, Mark Shifley, questioned about re-signing with the team. Indecisive, not going to commit to the team, doesn't know what's happening with the franchise. All these players are just in turmoil. turmoil. Break down what has happened with the Winnipeg Jets because you have an interesting take on it. Before we came on the air, I'm like, how scorched earth can we go on the Winnipeg Jets because I think it's a travesty. I know Chevy a little bit from my time back in Chicago. Seemed like a good hire with Winnipeg probably should have been fired there years and years ago but manages to hold on to his job even though they just continue to get worse and worse and worse year after year after year ruining uh, hellebeck is a star goaltender not taking advantage of that maybe having a lundquist type career that henrik lundquist had with the rangers where they had really good teams but not good enough what's going on in winnipeg tim why is this happening
1: yeah, it's funny. I was doing a little digging into this, um, in preparation for the show, and I found an article from NHLTradetalk.com, which is actually looks like a pretty legitimate website. It's not just like aggregating stuff. There's actual reporters here. And so, um, at the, there's a clip here with from Shifley's postseason press conference from May of this year, May 1st. And one of the things he was asked about was, um, his future with the Jets, and he was kind of evasive, not really committal to, being there long-term, and the article suggests that he's going to be the latest in a string of players in the last, I don't know, five, six years, like Bufflin, Laine, Roslovic, Truba, Evander Kane, Andrew Kopp, all guys that wanted out, that were moved, not to mention some other names like Paul Stasny. And so I think there's – Dubois, seen this,
0: who's on the team currently.
1: Yeah, there's, there's all these like, there's been a lot of speculation and rumors and I, I don't know how much credence to give to them, but usually when there's smoke, there's fire about the culture in the room, about why stuff doesn't work. Um and and even even is I feel like his reputation has taken a hit the last couple of years partly because of that hit on Jake Evans but there's been other stuff related to locker room culture related to personalities in the room and something's not working which Rick Bonus being a new coach must have picked up on that because he announced like you said that they're going to go into the season without a captain and for the first time Blake Weir has been their captain since 2015 something like that and now he's not going to be their captain which is which is an interesting move so I'm not really sure what to make of it.
0: It's a terrible move. It's just an awful move. Here's the statement the Jets released. It says, It's the determination of the coaching staff that we will enter the 2022-23 season without a specific captain, but rather a group of assistants still to be determined, said Jets head coach Rick Bonus, It is our goal to expand the leadership base within our hockey team. We have high expectations for our core players, and we want to provide them with the opportunity to step into those greater leadership roles as a group jets coach rick bonus and forward blake wheeler will be available to the media at noon Ugh. woof basically rich rick bonus is coming in and saying this team stinks the locker room's garbage you're doing a bad job blake wheeler this is how it's going to roll and either lump it or move on it's it's a bad situation tim no matter how you look at this it's a bad situation it's never a good sign when you change coaches, you come in, you want a new face. Obviously, the coaches, they have a way they want to run their team, but they respect the order of the, of the locker room. I've been around many coach changes. In Buffalo, I think we had four coaches in one year, two presidents and two or three GMs in one year. The coaches always respect the hierarchy in the locker room. When they come in, they don't want to rock the boat too much unless there's a big cancer in that room. Unless there's something that isn't working. And when you look at the Winnipeg Jets, when you look at how they're made up, when you look at their team, this should be a competitive team. This should be a team that's winning. And they're not. They're not winning. They have good players. Blake Wheeler is a good player. Kyle Connor is a very good player. Mark Shifley, Nick Ehlers, Dubois, Adam Lowry, he's on a bad contract, but he's a good, heavy player. Their back ends. It struggles a little bit, but Morris, he's a good player. Nate Schmidt, we know what he can do. They have good players. And then when you back that up with Connor Hellebuck, an all-star top five goaltender in the league, why aren't we winning? What's the issue? And then you go back to where does this all stem from? It's the leadership. It's the players. Why did all those players want to leave? Why did they all of a sudden just not want to sign that extension? Why when Dustin Bufflin, who's an all-star defenseman at the height of his fame, who could just do no wrong, gets injured, all of a sudden wants to get traded, so much turmoil. Why, when he's healthy, he doesn't want to go play back with the Winnipeg Jets? He doesn't like the locker room. Buff is an honest guy. There's a reason he's not friends with any of these guys anymore. There's a reason he's not around the team like all these other guys are. There's something going on in that locker room. What is it? I don't know. I'm not a Winnipeg insider. I don't like to go and dig, oh, what's, what's the issue there? What's going on? But for me... It's, it's the leadership group. It's Blake Wheeler. It's Mark Shifley. It's Joshua Morrissey. It's Nick Eulers. Something isn't going right there. There's no accountability. There's no guys willing to just, it's, it's easy to say it because Blake Wheeler, he, he gives some interviews where he's like, ah, oh, it's, it's just is F unacceptable. That's great. You can say it when the camera's on. Can you say it behind closed doors when you're sitting in a room with your, with your teammates, when it's impactful, Or do you, the guys have to watch it on TV and you come into your room and you just get undressed shower and you're on your way. That's what I want to know. How is he in the locker room? Because when you look at previous captains who have been stripped of their seat it never, it never usually works. I went back and I, and I, I did a little digging myself, recent memory. Captains who have been stripped of their captaincy. Scott Niedermeyer with the Anaheim ducks. They just won the Stanley cup. The reason he was stripped, he was injured. Makes sense. Gave it to Pronger. Pronger gets traded. Gave it back to Niedermeyer a little bit further down the road. Trevor Linden gets stripped of his captaincy because Mark Messier came in. Messier wanted to just take over the team. Linden gets traded, stripped of the captaincy. He got, got rid of the GM, the coach, everything. Vancouver tanked after that because they traded captaincy. They tried to do a switch. Messier was garbage. Um, another one, Jumbo in San Jose. They lose four straight to the LA Kings. GM comes in, coach comes in, McClellan, Doug Wilson. Jumbo, we're going to make a, a change. Jumbo didn't like it, but he's a consummate professional. He said, okay, whatever you guys want to do. Pavelski was already gifted, not gifted. He was given the captaincy, but they tried to make it so the team voted. That's not true. The team voted for Jumbo to be captain again. I was in the room. Pavelski gets the captaincy. The only reason that worked out somewhat was because Jumbo was okay with it. That year, the team, though, on paper, we were garbage. Like, we we, we didn't make the playoffs there was so much turmoil in that locker room because of the captaincy transition. Dustin Brown stipped, tripped of his captaincy in 2016, I want to say. Stanley Cup champion, captain of the team, had played a couple bad years. Daryl Sutter came in, talked to him in the summer, said, we're going to take the C away from you. We're going to give it to Kopitar. Dustin Brown, not happy with the situation. Went to the media, said, I don't like this, how, how this trend dressed. We could have done it maybe a little bit more eloquently. Not happy at all. LA Kings, not the same team after that. Never won another Stanley Cup. Turmoil, Dustin Brown left. Obviously, everything worked out. He has a statue in front of the rink. But during those next couple seasons, wasn't great. Uh, who else? There was there was a few more, but it, it never works out, Tim. There's never been a situation where you strip a captain of a C, and then the team goes on to success. I guess Luongo, maybe in Vancouver, where they stripped him of the C, but I think he gave the C back because it was a lot of just, it was a distraction for him and the team, this and that and whatever. But going back to the Winnipeg situation, this doesn't end well. There's no situation that I can see where we we go into training camp, we go into the beginning of the season and Blake, Blake Wheeler's happy. He's going to have to be asked this question nonstop. The start of camp preseason going into the season Who's going to talk to the refs? Who's the guy, Rick Bonus. This is a huge distraction, especially because they're not having anybody be the captain. It's it's a bad situation. And if Rick Bonus thinks he's going to go in there and make this work, Blake Wheeler is going to be miserable the whole season. Mark Scheifele, there's no way. He's still got three more years there. There's no way he resigns in Winnipeg. He's gone. He's going to be a 29 unrestricted free agent. He's going to be just begging to be let go by the Winnipeg Jets. So, it's terrible. And I don't think this is similar to what Torch is doing in Philadelphia because I know everyone's going to look at the parallels, this and that Philadelphia quadru left. He was their captain. Torch is coming in dysfunctional situation. He's trying to put his thumb on it. But Philly didn't have a leader. Philly didn't have any direction. Torch is coming in and saying, follow me. Rick bonus is coming into this situation. There is already a leadership group in place in Winnipeg. And he's saying, you guys suck. This is not the leadership group we need. Let's let's We're just scorched earth. Nobody's got anything. We're going to just have a, a bunch of assistants. They probably are going to have six. It's not going to work because the hierarchy is already there in Winnipeg. Who Who's going to talk in the locker room? Who's going to be the guy on the bench? <clears throat> and all of a sudden, you're going to have Dylan DeMello step up. You're going to have Brendan Dillon. So, the young guys aren't going to have ownership of this team. It's still going to be Wheeler. It's still going to be Shifley. It's still going to be Morrissey. It's still going to be those guys who have been there Wheeler's been in Winnipeg. I want to say for fourteen years.
1: He's Back in, to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, like, he's been there his whole his whole life. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to end bad, Tim.
1: Yeah, and it, Wheeler even went as far to say, he's like, even though I'm not wearing the C, my role's not going to change. Like, I'm still, and, and he talked about it with the team and with Bonus, like, I'm still going to speak up. I'm still going to be a leader. I'm still going to do this and that. And I think, you know, Scheifel he said it was a shock when he heard this news. They basically said, like like you just said, the leadership group is still the same. It's just not one person who has to bear all the weight and responsibility when things don't go right, um, which Bonus said in his presser. But it's almost like he's expecting to have a bad season and he wants them not all like the blame and attention to go, on one person and Blake Wheeler so they're kind of going out of their way to make it seem like he's not the scapegoat which I think is probably is fair enough but when you strip a guy of a C the attention's on him negatively no matter what the circumstances are no matter what you say it, he does feel like a scapegoat here and probably with good reason things obviously aren't working but I mean it's got to be tough for Blake Wheeler who feels like he's done he is the leader and he's the heart and soul of that team and now he's, he's out of a job here
0: and you- to to be on Rick Bonus's side i don't blame bonus for doing what he's doing he's coming into a situation in winnipeg that's dysfunctional you listed off all the all-star players that did not want to re-sign in winnipeg and dubois is the next one on the list he doesn't want to re-sign in winnipeg he's going to be an rfa he's already like rumors are surrounding him that he he's very unhappy i i go back to the situation being a captain is so important Having a good guy to lead your team is so incredibly important in the NHL. That's why PK Subban was traded. That's why they brought in Shea Weber. They lacked leadership on that team in Montreal. They didn't have anybody that they could say, that's our leader. He's going to lead us into battle. And I know people think it's crazy or it, it, it isn't a thing. We can have a, a team leadership group. We can, you know, everybody's pulling on the chain. That's It's not true. I've been in locker rooms where you don't have that guy. And it doesn't work. I've been in locker rooms when you have an an incredibly strong voice in a Jonathan Taves, and it's like, I get why you're successful. I get it. I look back at the Toronto series when John Tavares got hurt, when he got blindsided. They had no one in that locker room to pick up the pieces. Matthews couldn't do it. Marner couldn't do it. it. It was noticeable the play of that team just dropped right off after Tavares was not available. And that speaks volumes to his ability as a captain. I, I, did, I didn't really put the pieces together until he was off that team. And then you looked at the Toronto Maple Leafs without John Tavares on the team. It's like, man, it, it's it's a noticeable difference. And I'm not saying he's, he's an all-world talent, which he is, but his, his just intangibles are there. Like, he is a good captain, John Tavares. Even after his... You know he's coming back for his injury. His his talent is waning a little bit. He's still so important to that team. When he's gone, it's noticeable. So maybe bonus had to do this. Wheeler is their best player. He's just a bad captain. This team should have been in a Stanley Cup. They should have a ring on their finger with the talent that they have, and they don't have it. And that that falls squarely on Blake Blake Wheeler's feet. So I'll say this. It's a dysfunctional team. Rick Bonus is coming in. He's trying to right the ship. I. This is what he has to do. What else can he just go and say? Okay, Blake, you're the captain again. This is your team. Drive us into the ground again. Let's go. No, he's he's trying to do whatever he can to make this team successful. Is it going to work? I, I don't. I don't. I don't see this ending well at the end of, at the end of the day.
1: Do you think they're going to be sellers? Do you think they'll be like in a bottom-dwelling team or do you think they'll be stuck in no man's land?
0: I think they'll be sellers. They should be. But again, how do you sell this team? The only guy who I'm interested in if I'm another GM is maybe Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele. I'm not taking Blake Wheeler, who's 36 years old. He's making 8.25. Kyle Connor, I'd be salivating for. But if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, he's my best player. And I haven't wrapped up for four more years, and he's only making seven point one. I'm keeping that contract. Same with Mark Scheifele. I have him for two more years at six point one two five. So I, I'm holding on to those two pieces. Everything else, Ealers six million. That's high. Lowry makes three point two five. That's high. Dubois makes six million. That's pretty high for him at this point. The way he's playing, they don't have a lot of just tantalizing prospects. The one person who will be traded, hopefully, will be Connor Hellebuck. He's going to be going with Toronto Maple Leafs because the Leafs are going to struggle between the pipes in the first month. Dubois or, uh, Dubas is going to panic, which he should because his job is on the line, and he's going to give Winnipeg two first-rounders. They're going to get Connor Hellebuck. They're going to win the Stanley Cup. You heard it here first. But, yeah, they should they should have been sellers last year. They should have been sellers two years ago. Something isn't working with this group, and they, and they have to switch it up. But, again, the way it works, the contracts, the, the term, Blake Wheeler can't be moved, Kyle Connor. why would you want to move him? But, you know, it's the price you pay. Maybe you have to do get rid of Kyle Connor and Mike Shifley and just start fresh. Rebuild from square one. Get like two or three or four first-round draft picks and away we go and just really commit to a rebuild because right now it's not working. Your window was four years ago. You missed it. Now you have to regroup. You have to transition. But I don't think Dayoff has the luxury of just saying we're doing a rebuild. He's been with this team since its outset. And they have to win. Like he, he is on his fourth or fifth or sixth chance there in Winnipeg. All right, moving on, Tim.
1: Uh, yeah, well, speaking of the Flyers, do you see that Couturier news about him missing possibly the entire season, <sighs> minimum 12 weeks? It's not good. And so a little bit of context here. This is a report from Crossing Broad, which is a Flyers-based website. That hes They reported that he's going to miss significant time to start the season after suffering a herniated disc in the back during strength and conditioning drills last week. Now, he missed all of last season, and most of it with a back injury that eventually required surgery in February. He's supposed to come back. He talked about how hard he's worked to, to come back from this injury, and especially anything related to like the back or the middle of your body like that is just very, very difficult. You have to be very careful obviously he was expected and slated to come back he starts skating with the team again something doesn't feel right they're looking to get some uh second opinions as of yesterday but basically what's happening is that he's out at minimum 12 weeks could be half the year could be the entire season it's just another the latest hit in, in a line of debacles in philadelphia and i certainly feel for that guy as well
0: yeah the, this could be a career ender it, it's you, you don't mess around with your back, especially he's coming back from that injury. I don't know if it's a new injury or if he aggravated it, but it just, for the type of hockey he plays, the physicality, it, it's a tough blow for him. I like Sean Couturier. He's a good player. He's worked hard to get where he's at. He's a first-line center. He is just, he epitomizes what it means to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Broad Street Bullies, that guy, they love him there in Philadelphia. This is a tough blow for him. It's a tough blow for John Tortorella because that is – he is a Tortorella-type player. Torts is going to just lean on him, power play, penalty kill, starting periods, finishing periods. That was Sean Couturier. And now Torts looks at his lineup. He's like, who's our who's our one seat? Is it Kevin Hayes? Ugh, maybe. Morgan Frost? The Philly, I, I feel bad if I'm a Philadelphia Flyer player right now. You have Tortorella coming in. He's just going to roast you in camp. His training camps are just legendary for how hard they are. And you're just going to be terrible all season long. So it, it's it's a bad season for Philadelphia. They're going to lose. They're going to lose big. Torts is going to scream, and he's going to scream loud. And the only way you can get over that after a game go home Jump on your phone, fire up DoorDash, get a six-pack, get a bottle of wine, relax a little bit, and just drink your sorrows away. Try to relax. Just focus on the good things you're in the NHL. But save a little money at the same time because you might not be in the NHL very long because Philly's going to be just a train wreck. And you can save money by using my promo code GLOVESDDUS if you're in Philadelphia and the USA as a whole. GLOVESDD if you're in Canada. Use DoorDash. Tim uses it. I love it. It's a fantastic company. Get you your food, get you your drinks, get you your groceries, whatever you want. DoorDash will deliver it to your door, wherever you are. You're at a hotel, you're at the park, DoorDash will bring it to wherever you are and they'll get it to you fast, how you want it, baby. So use promo code GLOVESDD if you're in Canada, GLOVESDD. US if you're in the US of A, get 25% off, free delivery. It's a beautiful thing. You save lots of money. Speaking of saving money, you know who's sick and tired of saving their team money, Tim? Stanley Nathan,
1: Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon.
0: The guy's on just a deal of a century. He makes $6.3 million, Tim. Nathan McKinnon, consummate professional, MVP candidate, year in, year out. You think he's making $10 million, $11 million, $12 million. He makes $6.3 million. But he is up for a new contract. This is his last year on his deal, and he is fed up with being underpaid he's tired of it he jokes with his teammates he's joking around with Cale McCarr already telling him how much he's underpaid giving him a hard time about how much money Seth Jones makes he's like Jones he makes more than you McCarr and he sucks you only make nine he makes 9.5 well McKinnon's not having anything of it what were his comments to him? he had a pretty good interview what did he say to the to the questioning about his contract coming up
1: yeah, he was on the NHL player media tour, and he said his extension with the Avalanche was, quote, pretty un- close, pretty close. Um, hoping to get it done soon. And he said he was asked about the expected average annual value, and he said it would be fair, but it's not going to be single digits. So we're talking at least $10 million, probably more in the 12 range. I mean, what do you think his number going to be?
0: Well, with the salary cap, it's eventually going to increase. I think he, it's tough because he, he said it's going to be fair. He's turning 28. So he still has a lot of good tread left on the tires. I think he gets 11 and a half. I think that's a fair value for him. He could get 12 and a half, 13 on the open market if he tests it. But I think he, again, gives Colorado a discount. He wants them to be successful. He wants to be the highest paid player on his team. is making nine. Rantanen's making 9.25. I think he keep 11, 11 and a half, I think is a good number for him, for eight years. I think he signs an eight-year deal. That just rides him off into the sunset with the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. He'll be thirty-six when the deal's done, and that's it, man. Eight years, eighty-eight million dollars. Does that seem good to you? <laughs> I mean,
1: it sounds pretty good. I wonder what, yeah, when he says fair, what that means, because that could mean a lot of different things. And one of the obvious comparisons is, is Connor McDavid, who a lot of people are saying that McKinnon should be making more than Connor McDavid, not because he's a better player, but because he's signing a contract five years later than McDavid. So what McDavid signed as a restricted free agency in 2019 shouldn't really have that much of an impact of what McKinnon signs as an unrestricted free agent in 2023 technically because it's when his contract ends and so and 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 rightfully so probably two years from now Matthews will sign for more than either of those two guys just because of the circumstances and and you know the numbers going up over time but if he wants to play it safe and wants to be fair to both sides maybe he's making less than 12 I could see 12 even that would put him as second highest paid player in the league behind only McDavid ahead of Panarin um, it just depends on how friendly and and how fair he wants to be
0: and this is where hockey players are different than most other athletes. Because this situation comes up in basketball. And it seems like the guys in basketball, in the NBA, they sign two-year deals all the time. Three-year deals. Same with football. Where you see LeBron will sign like a two-year deal for $80 million. And then he's a free agent again. Hockey players, for whatever reason, they like the security. They like the long-term deals. They just want to just get it out of the way. And I don't know why. Like, why would McKinnon not just say to Sackick, let's just do a three-year deal, and then we'll reevaluate? Because with the expectation that the salary cap's going to go up, who would that benefit more in your eyes? If he if he goes to Joe, Joe Sackick, or now it's Chris McFarlane, Joe Sackick's not the GM anymore, and he says, let's just do a three-year deal, and I'll give you $12 million a year. Then we'll, we'll reevaluate. Or I'm going to be an unrestricted free agent. Do you think that's something he would do, or why? Why wouldn't he do that? Because then you get to be an unrestricted free agent again when you're 30 years old. If Colorado stinks, you can go elsewhere. Why tie yourself to the same team for eight years, not knowing how the future is going to pan out? Or can you read the tea leaves? You got McCarr tied up, you got Landeskog tied up, you got Nasuskin. you got and you got Rantanen. Your team's locked up for a long period of time. So what? What do you think the best if if you're Nathan McKinnon? How do you maximize your value, but also maximize your winning chances? What's the best route for him to go, Tim?
1: Well, I think you said it. Like When you look at reading the tea leaves, their best players are locked up, except for him. Minimum three years with Rantanen, but like you got these names locked up for long-term. They're going to be a good team for a long time. And McKinnon even said he wants to be an Avalanche player for life. So I think he's looking at this and looking, wanting to lock in his future, the long-term security. If you can get... If you can get eight years, why wouldn't you take it? Like if you know it's if you, you know what you're going to be making, you've got that guaranteed money coming in. Even a, a player's already made so much money that's that's a lot to say no to. So I, I can't imagine someone who wouldn't want to take that opportunity.
0: Yeah, you don't hear about those stories. Well, he turned down this deal and he had to sign a less. I guess Evan Rodriguez that happened to him this year. Yeah, I saw that. Agency, he had an eighteen million dollar deal locked up and he turned it down and he just cost himself, what, $15 million because he had to sign a $2 million, $3 million deal this year, right?
1: But it had to do with, like, he almost didn't know about the deal or something because he fired his agent over it. This is, like, last week or two weeks and ago. His
0: agent advised him to pass because there would be... Is that what it was? There. Yeah. And so they passed on the deal, came back, deal wasn't there. Next thing you know, he had to sign a one-year deal for $3 million or two. I think like two. That. yeah. Yeah, so he, he left a ton of money on the table. But, yeah, that, those situations are very rare in hockey. You see it in basketball. I did a thing with Isaiah Thomas years ago when I was still a thing where he's talking about how the, the truck's going to be backed up at his house, the Brink's truck. Next thing you know, he gets hurt. He's out. He missed out on a hundred million bucks, something like that because he didn't sign the first deal that the Celtics offered him. He's like, I'm going to go to you un- unrestricted free agency, this and that hockey players like security They're very meat and potatoes type of players. And I think McKinnon does sign an eight year deal. But I think if you're trying to maximize your value, you expect the game of hockey to grow you expect the cap to keep you know increasing especially after covid's done now you're you're signing a deal based on an 82 and a 83 million dollar cap if you wait 3 years the cap might be 92 million dollars there's a lot more money to be spent so you can get 15 million dollars a year 16 million dollars that that'll be the normal contract for the highest paid player so fast forward 6 7 years mckinnon will be probably the Second or third highest paid player on his team. Because when Ranton is going to want a new contract, he'll be making more than Nathan McKinnon. Same thing with Kale mccarr He's going to want a new contract in five years. That guy's going to get bank in five years when he's 28 years old and he's got three Norrises to his name and a couple Stanley Cups and Con Smythes. Oof. It's going to be expensive for the Avalanche. All right, Tim. Let's do some quick hits brought to you by Points Bet. Love myself some points, bet. Are you ready? We're going to start our little competition soon. Are you ready to go?
1: yeah yeah i've been doing some digging and research i'm excited to when we get to that um First, first quick hit here. Friend of the show, Jason Demers, how you say it? Demers? Demers. Um, signed a PTO with the Edmonton Oilers. And there's a great little quote here. because he, he did. He played in the KHL last year, and so didn't play in the NHL, dealing a little bit of an injury, didn't get the offer sheets he wanted last year. And he said, quote, to be honest, I didn't play last year, and this league is very much out of sight, out of mind. I know they have a good, a good right D and are pretty set, but I want a chance to prove that I still have a little magic in me. I'm excited to get going. What do you think? You think it's going to work out?
0: Um, not with the Edmonton Oilers. I think this is a good thing for Jason to be at Edmonton. He gets a chance to skate with NHL players, play in preseason games. And what he's hoping for is he has a good showing and another, another team sees him. And after the Edmonton Oilers cut him, he can sign with another team. I think he nailed it right there. They got a really good decor. The right side's pretty much locked in. Maybe he, he tags along as a seven defenseman, but this is an audition for the whole NHL when you sign a PTO. You're not just, you know, trying out for that one team who you signed the PTO with. You're trying out for every other team in the NHL because GMs watch. They check the box score. They want to know who's out there. And as soon as you get released to waivers, if you're available, boom, they pounce. If you've had a good offseason. So, or preseason, excuse me. So we'll see. This is good for Jason, friend of the show, because when he was on our show, we talked to him afterwards. He's like, I'm pretty sure I'm done. But hey, if, if he can catch on, I don't think he will. He didn't do, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, but it's good for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would love to see him in the league.
0: I just lose guy. friends all the time because if he's going to listen to this episode, he's going to hear me say that. And he's like, "You jerk! You don't think it's going to work out?"
1: Say know. something nice about him, just in case.
0: He's got a good sense of sense of humor. Like he really does. He's a funny guy. He really is. All right, another friend of the show. Another retirement. Nathan Gerby retired off uh, because of injuries. He, he had tough injuries. Throughout his career, the guy played a pretty physical game for his size, played almost five 500 NHL games, right away signed on to be Nashville's player skills coach. Which Development, is yeah. I, I like that position for him. The guy's got sweet hands. He does drills all day long. He is like one of the hardest working players I've ever been around. So good for him, Nathan Gerby. Congratulations. Last one. What do we got, Tim?
1: Yeah, uh kind of an under the radar signing that not many people are talking about. Jordan Cairo signed eight years at eight point one two five with the Blues. He's a good player. He's on my uh he was on my team that I drafted, the salary cap team. Last year, seventy five points in seventy four games, twenty-four years old only, breakout season for sure last year, and obviously the blues buy it. And what's interesting is he's signed the same exact term and same exact years and everything as teammate Robert Thomas. So they're both locked up eight years eight point one two five. They'll probably be, you know, the top line in a year or two together with whoever is still around. And so, I like the Blues. I think they're going to be a good team this year, and Kyrou is going to be a big part of it for for now and the future.
0: And they signed the both bridge. They signed the exact same bridge deal too, three years, two point eight million dollars. So they they've mirrored their contracts throughout their careers. But yeah, St. Louis, are those the guys you're really to go to battle with, Kyrou and Thomas? That you're locked in now for a long time. St. Louis, those are the those are the guys. I like them. Hopefully, they work out.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to be, build a competitive team, but they've got the Blues. You've got the older guys, the core locked up, the Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Shen, and then you've got the next generation who are already contributing, but they're also locked up for the future. It's not an easy thing to do, but the Blues have done that pretty well.
0: Yeah, it's just their back end. they got Falk, Krug, Perenko, Letty. A lot of money tied up in those four defensemen. Krug, can he bounce back? Can he be the guy, Perenko? Yeah, I love Perenko.
1: He I he's had a great that really defenseman.
0: great you know, Stanley Cup run where he was just a revelation, huge defenseman moving the puck has regressed a little bit. Nick Letty showing his age 31 played a lot of hockey though, a lot of hockey and Justin Falk. He's a good defenseman. but with those four guys, they have almost $26 million tied up in those four guys. That's a lot of investing. They need to, they need to be better. They do. They do. All right, everybody. We need to be better too. That was an average show. I apologize. Next one will be better. Tim, right? I thought it was great. You were yeah, fine. Right. It was great. I'm always the pessimist. But anyways, everybody, thank you for joining us. We appreciate the support. We'll catch you on Thursday, right, Tim? Oh, did you see the Bills game? Oh. No. Super no. Bowl. Super Bowl champions, 41-7. to 7. Absolutely just worked, the Tennessee Titans. It was. It was a master. I might buy tickets to the Super Bowl right now. That's how good the Bills look. They're 2 0. Oh, they look fantastic. Josh Allen, my goodness, that guy. Stefan Diggs, three touchdowns, 148 yards, 12 catches, I think he got.
1: I did see that Hail Mary play. That was pretty sweet. What was the score of the first game?
0: Wasn't that also a blowout? Beat the Rams 30 something to, yeah, like eight. I want to say they just worked the Rams. So That's they're crazy. Tim. When's the Patriots game? Do you know? Who cares? Who cares? Don't care. I'll give you 21 points. That's how confident I am the Bills will beat them by at least least 21. There you go. All right, everybody. That's all. Hope everybody has a good week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.